You know what we're not allowed to do today, Trent Walton? We're not allowed to talk about barbecue for 30 <laughs> minutes like we did the last time. I think I might have made a note here. Don't talk about food for too long. Or burgers. <laughs> Don't talk about tacos, Trent. Do, yeah, I won't do that either. I'm specifically staying off the topic of food because some people write in complaining. I mean, some people write in saying nice things like, you know, why don't you ever talk about fish and chips? You know, aren't you British? Don't you live by the sea? Or something like that, you know. Do you enjoy putting a nice cockle in your mouth, they ask. Um, but no, I'm staying off the subject of food altogether. What about a winkle? Do you, do you enjoy a nice winkle, Stephen Hay? A nice what? A winkle. What kind of podcast is this? I don't, yeah, I don't, am I on the right podcast? What? You know what a winkle is. It's a little crustacean, a little shellfish, a seafood item. Like a okay, cockle. well, yeah, I tend to like shellfish, so that's okay. I come from a place, the place I come from is a little place on the northwest coast of England called Morecambe, and it's famous for two things. One is a guy called Eric Morecambe, who was a comedian in the sort of 60s and 70s, who wasn't actually called Eric Morecambe, but because he came from Morecambe, he took on the name Eric Morecambe, and he's very famous. Um, and also because... In the 1980s, about 100 Chinese cockle pickers died in Morecambe Bay. They got, like, dragged out to sea in the tide. That's not good. Wow. That's, that's, the, place, that's, where, that's the place where I called home, and that's what it's famous for. It could have been famous for something much more interesting than that. So I guess that that's my poor excuse for an introduction. This <laughs> <laughs> works for me. All so right. my, my two wonderful guests this week, because we've got my own design hero, Trent Walton, who's a third of Paravel, which is a three-person design studio in Texas. And, you know, you're making some of the best work on the web at this moment. So, you know. You st- that compliment still works on me. Good job. Yeah, you know. I'm just trying to butter you up, <laughs> to be honest. And we've got art director and designer Stephen Hay, who's also a hero, obviously. Um, and you're now based in the Netherlands, but you've written a book, Web Design Workflow, which we might touch on a little bit. But uh, how's that book doing? Is that doing well for you, Stephen? Uh, I guess it depends on what you mean by uh, how's it doing. Um, I, the publisher told me never write a book to make money or become famous, um, which are really the two reasons, I guess, that everyone wants to write a book. So uh, they, they were taken away from me, those two reasons. I, it's doing pretty well in the very micro market uh, that it's in, responsive design workflow even amongst web designers might not be a huge, uh, might not be a topic that everyone, um, is interested in enough to buy a book about. Um, but it's, it's doing pretty well. And I guess, uh, it gets me, it's gotten me to more conferences and things like that. So, um, I've met a lot of people and had a lot of fun with it. So you wrote that for peach pit, I think, didn't you? Yes. A couple of years ago. Uh, the new writers uh, thing. So, yeah. And it's uh, it was enjoyable. It, it's hard to write a book, as you know. <laughs> I, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, really, I think, to write a book. And I think I, I did it in only like nine or ten months. So that was pretty quick. Yeah, that was pretty quick, actually. It took yeah. me over a year to do the last one. And I'm not allowed to do another one because Sue threatened to hunt down and kill anybody that asks me to write another book. <laughs> I can I'm imagine. <laughs> such a bastard when I'm writing. I am, I mean, I'm, you know, 
pretty much a bastard most of the time. But when I'm writing, I'm like uber bastard. So right. she doesn't, she's not allowed it. That's it. I'm, I'm forbidden, verboten. I'm not allowed to write a book again. Were you able to combine it well with client work as well? No, didn't do it at all. I did literally wrote the book solidly for 10 months and didn't do any client work. Wow. Okay. So I tried to juggle uh, both, which was really, really hard. The reason I thought that getting you two together might result in a, a lively conversation is that we've all been writing and talking about designing in a browser or with a browser for, oh God, for years. We bang on about it like three old men. I think you were the first one who... Um, who I saw publicly talking about it in 2009. I think you did a presentation called uh, When the Walls Come Tumbling Down, I think. It was. In fact, I did something similar with a different title the year before for, oh, God, I think it was Future of Web Design in London. And, uh, God, that seems like an insane amount of time ago. That's because it is. (laughs) And I remember doing that talk to... No, I did it two or three times for an event apart that year. And the first time I did it, people really wanted more kind of practical, um, you know, practical takeaways from it. So I cut down a lot of the kind of preliminary stuff. And as the year went on, I kind of introduced more tools and stuff like that. And it ended up a completely different talk. But people thought I was mad. They thought I was insane. And, you know, some of the, some of the sort of hysterical comments that kind of sprung up around it you think i'd started some kind of religious war that's exactly what it turned out to be i mean and this was before any kind of responsive multi-device discussions happened so it was you know i'm i'm photoshop i like to photoshop and you're screwing up your your what you're proposing screws up my life <laughs> or the way i pitch jobs uh you know i i, I sell deliverables and m- most of those are photoshop so what the hell are you talking about? You know, and it, it just, it, it, it was, a, it disrupted what I think a lot of smaller agencies or even large companies, the way that they work with, with each other, uh, you know, internally, like how they make websites and how they've organized their floors and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, to me, it was almost like uh, prophetic because like if, 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 if we could have embraced that sooner, everything that was to come since 2009 or whenever, <laughs> would have been a lot easier but it but it wasn't it was hard so i've talked about photoshop visuals or however we make them now i still do some and you know i make them in sketch these days i used to talk about them being like the currency of web design mm. in that that's what designers would make and we'd exchange them for money in some kind of i don't know feudal system <laughs> uh, and but also they were then, you know, they'd be passed on to developers and the developers would exchange them for money and which they transfer into code. And, you know, they were used as, as currency and passed between people. And, you know, when you break that, sometimes people don't know what to do. You know, you're, you're right about organizations. You know, they structure jobs, they structure businesses. And I remember talking to a couple of agencies around about that time. And they were saying that we, we just can't work this way because every one of these little stages you know the design stage the front end stage the back end stage you know that's oversimplifying it each one of those kind of handover points is an opportunity for us to get sign off and it's an opportunity for us to bill money and you know if you're if you're getting away from that kind of uh scenario then you know how are we supposed to build things now right so that's a big problem is um people 
wanting, you know, sign off points during the process. Uh, I think another big problem is that you have, uh, the people justify their value or, uh, on a team by the deliverables that they make as opposed to the end result of the entire project. So interaction designers, you know, they couldn't just do gray box wireframes because that's not a really impressive deliverable. So wireframes became hugely intricate, almost like entire prototypes devoid of color. You know what I mean? So they, they made these things because it's a, it's a big thing that you could charge money for. Doesn't necessarily have much to do with the reality of the site that's being built. Uh, oftentimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. So a lot of these deliverables are almost throwaway in a sense, or at least partially. And for some reason, we feel like that's the way we can assign value to what we do within a project is by the deliverables that we make in between. And it's that, and that's exactly how things kind of go. And the thing that I see is it's almost like everyone is working on I'm working on my piece, my thing, and then I'm going to hand it to you, and then it will become your thing. And there's, I think all of that kind of feeds into breeding any kind of like friction or tension that you, you'll have in the process. It's because there is this, I need to demonstrate my value, and you'll see this. And um, instead of us all gathering around and maybe people take pieces and run with it and, and do things individually at, at times, but the, the change to, to kind of maybe focusing on the browser, whether it's designing in the browser or, or whatever we'd want to call it, I feel, it feels like it's an immediate shift to, to from me building my thing to us building our thing. And then there's like camaraderie and, and improvisation and uh, we're all talking about the same thing. We're not really trying to meld our perspectives into one thing. And those, th- the way that happens is usually miserable because it's developers trying to, as frustrated as they may be, explain performance or accessibility or just how they would mark something up and how difficult this is or how this is the sixth version of an H6 that you've designed and how, how are we supposed to code this. Um, and then, you know, designers just not seeing what the, 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 the attention to detail that they wanted and passing off redline documents and, and, and rage and frustration just pile upon pile upon pile. And then, you know, it, it's better if, if, uh, it's people working together saying, Hey, here's one thing we can do to make it better over and over again. Uh, you know, and, and just like you were saying, Stephen, it's the, most of these things, users don't see these things. They're signed up upon and then there's very complicated spreadsheets and charts and JPEGs, but they just see the, 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 the web view. Exactly. And I think the one thing that uh, we all tend to forget is that j- it's some kind, it's something about this industry. We all kind of really love our tools, right? So if you've used Photoshop for many, many years, I used to use Photoshop and print as well. Um, it becomes kind of a pet tool. It's like uh, the, this, it becomes this virtual space where you become creative and you feel like if, if you can't use that in the same way that you have in the past, like someone's pulling, taking the creativity away from you. So I actually had a designer come up to me in a workshop and, and the workshop was just all about everything that's in my book, this whole workflow. And they said, well, I enjoy the workshop, but, um, where's the creativity? I miss, I miss that part where I get to be creative. And basically what they were saying without knowing that they were saying that is that I can only be creative within the tool that um, that I normally used to be creative in, 
right? And I, no one ever said you're not allowed to use Photoshop. You know, they just, yeah. um, it's, uh, what I tend to say lately is when we talk about designing in the browser, it's actually a poor term because we're not designing in the browser in the sense of opening up a text editor and having at it. It's that the comps that we make, uh, that we talk about and discuss with everyone around them, the, the comps are in the browser and how you get there. That doesn't really matter. It, what matters is that an interactions designer is actually, um, paying attention to what the real interaction is on a web-based comp because that's the web, you know, that's in a browser. That's where you can actually test these interactions and uh, visual designers will actually see what this thing would look like. But it's a, it's a unique opportunity that we have on the web as designers to be able to have a comp in the actual medium for which we're designing, which is really unique to our medium. Well, let's wind back a little bit because, you know, we're talking about designing in a browser. I remember there's two parallel kind of conversations that went on at around about roughly the same time. And I think both of them are still relevant. One was this whole using the browser to gather around. And in fact, that was my main thrust, really, of this whole kind of topic back in the day was to talk about something which was of the web, which was a realistic representation of the thing that we're making. And there was a related article that I wrote. Oh, God, I'll have to dig up the link for the show notes. But it was about stopping showing clients actual visuals and showing them finished code instead. And I remember, again, back then, people were like, well, that's just a waste. You know, why would you code something up when the client hasn't approved it? Um, so there were these kind of two parallel conversations that were going on pretty much at the same time. And I think that those are still the issues that we're, that we're facing now. Yeah. I mean, t- describe, yeah. what do you mean by dis- when people talk about designing in a browser, what does that actually mean to you? I, one thing that's funny about this too, is I just today wrote an email about as a response to an RFP that outlined the process. Uh, the client wanted, you know, we have phase one, we'll do d- design comps, maybe three of them, and we'll, you'll present those, and then phase two, we'll, we'll pick one and refine it, and then phase three, we'll code it or whatever. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, 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 and I think that, uh, when you, when, when you get into this idea of like, if I code anything, I've risked too much, then the process is probably, from my perspective and opinion, broken. You know, so, so it's, it's probably having that conversation early on and setting those expectations early on that for us, code doesn't mean it much. I mean, the, and these things have changed delightfully. Uh, the, I mean, most of our things, we'd use private code pens. We just open some stuff up and co- right. code it isolated. And it doesn't, it's, it's an, it's the equivalent of a, maybe, a, maybe a little bit more fidelity and thought than like a napkin sketch. But in a way, that's, that's what it means to us. We haven't kind of gone through and built a whole, you know, technology stack out and done a whole bunch of stuff. We're just uh, riffing a little bit. So, you know, it, it's what it means to the client and it, it's what it means to the uh, designer and developer as well. It's funny you mention RFPs because I think that I must respond to something like that at least once a month, yeah. particularly uh, large tender documents. I mean, I actually had to pick up the phone to a client or prospective client a week or so ago and have that exact conversation 
Yeah. Um, and as well, tell them that actually, no, we weren't going to be presenting three different versions of the homepage before we actually got the deal, <laughs> before we'd been hired, which is another part of their RFP. Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. That's but then, a whole other story. Yeah. Do you get people asking you uh, to, you know, they ask for a quote and then you, they want to give you the job, but they say, and then you need to deliver, you have to deliver Photoshop comps for our developers? To our developers? I've never had that, no. I mean, sometimes people will not want to use the code that we write, and that's perfectly okay. That's absolutely okay, because I always have this distinction between what I think of as design code and then what I expect would be production code that somebody way cleverer than me that understands performance and all this kind of stuff that they will work with. So I have no problem in people throwing away the code that I write. But well, I understand and I think that, you know, because I'm showing the client and getting them to sign off on a piece of code on something in a browser, that that's a much more realistic representation. Um, so I don't mind, you know, I don't mind them throwing that away. I've never had somebody turn around and say, we've got to have Photoshop comps. Um, I don't know what I would do in that situation. What takes screen grabs? Yeah, years ago, well, I remember screenshotting uh, something for some meetings. Uh, so it's basically image-based comps. But most, I mean... For me, these days, if, if if someone's asking us for that, then they then I haven't done a good job of explaining what we do and why they want they should want to work with us if if it's a good fit. Because uh, yeah, just like Andy was saying, those things are inseparable: performance and feel and interaction and, and just on all of this stuff and evaluating things on real devices. So you know, and and you know, I, I luck out that I've got. Uh, Dave Rupert is a coworker. It's like, yes, you will be, <laughs> you will be using, uh, our front end code or we'll be working with you to create it. Otherwise, we, you know, you probably don't want to mess with us. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, so that's, yeah, it's, it's kind of how things have gone is that, um, you know, it, Dave, Dave Rupert probably would classify himself as a front end developer, but, uh, you know, the, these, these words and terms are so, you know, intertwined. I, I, he's always been a web designer to me. He, he, you know, the things that are important to him are important to Reagan and I as well. So, yeah, we, we, we've image-based comps. It's just a, to this point, it's a sign that we're probably not a good fit or that they, uh, it's usually an RFP and it's just the way that's all that they, that they know at this point. And you can usually use it as an opportunity to, uh, rule yourself out and have them think you're ridiculous or, or, or um, maybe help them along and make make a few, in my opinion, you know, better decisions. I still do think, though, that there's a difference between the code that I write and what I would imagine to be, you know, Dave and Reagan's production-level code because I never actually want the responsibility of doing some things anymore. We used to do it. You know, we used to build websites for people and mm -hmm. they would expect that they worked in every flavor of Internet Explorer. And I imagine today people expect them to work in lots of different flavors of Android or Windows Phone or whatever. I have zero interest in browser testing. Absolutely <laughs> zero. It's not, the, it's not the most fun thing for you ever? I think that, you know, we spend our time doing creative stuff and hopefully somewhere down the line, they will have somebody that's much more skilled than we are in sweating those kind of testing details. Yeah. What I'm interested in is that the interface or the thing that we're designing feels appropriate to a 
class of device, if you like. So I'm interested in the fact that it works really nicely on a mobile phone or on a tablet, but I actually don't care about Android or I don't care about the Windows phone or something like that um, because I'm not testing for that. I'm just testing that it feels right, not necessarily that it works on that platform. You know, that's that's somebody else's job. Well, that's the difference between um, design and development. I, I get where Trent's coming from as well because that – I think the tendency nowadays is to have, like, Trent, what you were saying about Dave, um, you've always seen him as a designer. I think uh, we're getting more of that, like the the designer who codes and the, the developer who uh, has design sense. And I think that's a really, really good thing. Uh, but if you're, like, I think, Andy, you and I have, like, more of a similar type of business. And um, in my case, it's the same as yours, that we're... I wouldn't worry too much about the code. I mean, I know a lot about front-end code, but once you get into, you know, heavy-duty performance stuff and things like that, I I just don't want that responsibility either. It's it's not what I'm really trained for. Um, so I tend to work together with people, and they're not at my own company, but I'll just work with the developers on the project to, um, you know, to get to the end of the project in that way without having to do all that kind of code myself years ago people like me who were pretty much unskilled and with zero experience made websites for clients you know professionally you know what the stuff that we got away with was <laughs> was unbelievable in hindsight you know and i always believe that we did a great job for people but you know when you look back now you think wow you know look at that stuff that i did um over the you know the last few years i've seen building for the web get more and more technical and more and more almost to be honest out of my reach so that's why we've pulled back as a business and that's why we're much more interested today still in the design aspect and you know we'd rather spend a day looking at typography than thinking about browser testing you know so we've just that's how we're positioning ourselves now much more on that kind of creative side um but like you say you do have to know and this is where the whole designing or checking or designing or what is it what somebody say i forget who it was now um who said deciding in a browser was it dan mall yeah it was dan yeah who's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks actually such a great guy you know whatever you do you we still need to have those kind of uh you know feet in the real world and that's how i've been justifying it recently you don't have to justify it. You're okay. Well, you know, because actually sometimes you do have to justify it because, you know, I had a, a guy email me today with an interesting project. I, you know, and there was a budget attached and I wrote back to him and I said, yeah, that would be great. We can design within your budget. And then his immediate response was, does that mean that you can build my, you know, my massive Ruby database driven thing? <laughs> is, is that included? It's like, no, no, two different things. Design development, two different things. Yeah, well, people, I think regardless of whether you, only design or whether you do everything, people are always going to try to get as much as they can for as little <laughs> money as possible, right? <laughs> and I tell you what, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. When I wrote about this whole designing in a browser thing in the past, particularly at the beginning with the whole kind of religious war, people just thought that I was saying, you know, you shouldn't use Photoshop. And I can remember, so there was some, uh, I think it was actually Jeffrey Zelpin who tweeted something or wrote something, which was kind of like an anti-Photoshop kind of sentiment. Um, and of course, I wasn't meaning that at all. You know, it was much, much more complex than that. And I've actually found that over the last couple of years, even though we've been doing a lot more 
browser-based design, we still have a, a very specific part of our workflow where we go back into a, into a visual graphics editor. Um, and I'm actually finding that people, once of a day, they used to say things like, yeah, but, you know, if you design in a browser, it's not like Photoshop, you can't be creative or you can't have all of these kind of, you know, the bells and whistles. So I've actually found that having another pass, you know, going back after we've decided on layout, after we've got the mechanics of the design working and we, we've checked it on iPads and we've done all this kind of stuff, that we then go back and run another pass into Sketch now and really kind of sweat those details because there's nothing better in my mind than zooming into 800% and just making sure you've got that tiny little shadow just right. Yeah, well, do you mean like um, things that will become like image assets? Or things that you're going to reproduce later on in CSS. Sometimes things that we're going to reproduce later on in CSS. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, I think that's that's valid. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with image editors for for stuff. I think, you know, the point I always try to make is that thing about the comp being in the browser. And if you spend a bunch of time in Photoshop and eventually you get to a comp in a browser, I, you know, who cares? That's that's great. The thing is that the comp should be in the browser because um, every single week I'm confronted with, uh, and I know a lot of people are confronted with designs that look fantastic, but they only look fantastic. But we all know that design is more than what something looks like. So uh, once they, once someone tries building this thing, they come in, they come across all these problems. You're going to come across those problems anyway. The question is, at what point in the project are you going to come across those problems and have to solve them? And by doing a design comp in the browser, you're, you're moving, you're moving that point, uh, closer to the beginning of the project, not at the beginning. But if you do everything in a comp, static image comps, and then you go build the thing, you're pushing all that, uh, the discovery of all these problems to way down the line where you might have to totally rethink things that you've already got sign off on, like maybe a couple months ago. And then you have to go back and you have to tell your client, Oh, we're sorry. We, the designers and developers, um, you know, we're on drugs. We're, <laughs> we're drinking. I don't know, but we, we missed this thing and we had you sign off on something based on what it looked like and our descriptions of interactions, which is a proxy for the thing. It's not the thing itself. That's how most designers, I, well, not most designers, that's a huge generalization. That is how a lot of designers still work on web designs. Absolutely. I would say, yeah. like, you know, most of them still work like that. What I'm talking about is layers of fidelity. So my, what I, what I tend to do, my, my usual process is I do a lot of work on paper. And I'm not precious about sketchbooks. You know, I'm not Jason Santamaria with like, you know, a, a decade's worth of beautiful moleskins behind me. You know, I use bits of paper and back, backs of napkins and I throw them away. I don't keep any of these assets. But I work on paper quite a lot and I try to get into code as quickly as possible so I can start to see the mechanics of the design. And I do a lot of the rough sketching in code. So, for example, I still like a shadow, you know? I know everything in the world's gone flat mad, but, you know, I like a bit of a shadow every now and again. Nothing wrong with a shadow. 
No, nothing wrong with the shadow. Confirmed. I won't disagree. <laughs> nothing wrong with the shadow. So, you know, you might put a rough drop shadow, box shadow, text shadow, whatever it may be, on an asset. And it's a proof of concept. It's like a, a ever-increasing layers of fidelity. But to me, sometimes, you know, I know that in the real world, no object ever has just one shadow on it. If you, whatever you look around, whatever you're shining a light on right now, every single thing in the real world has more than one shadow on it. Even if it's a heart, even if it's one shadow that you can see, there are two shadows or three shadows actually built into that one shadow, like primary and secondary. So there are these layers of detail. And that's the kind of thing that you can sometimes miss. So I really like going into sketch once I've worked out the broad brush strokes and then, you know, just you know, zooming in, which is hard to do in the browser, you know, getting those double shadows right. And then, you know, moving back into the browser. And it's a constant kind of process of backwards and forwards for me. I well, never you know, p- control plus, right, is the way to zoom in the browser. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the same sometimes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I know what you, yeah, we know what you mean. <laughs> I think, you know, you, since you're talking about shadows and things like that, and you're absolutely right, but that's 3D. So you should be a 3D designer as opposed to a web designer. <laughs> oh, so you're of the, the web is flat religion. Oh, no, no. I'm trying to give you a hard time, which is... <laughs> which is easy to do. Which is not working. I'm giving myself a hard time, I guess. But no, I think that for me, I'm spending as much time as I ever did in something like Photoshop. I'm just doing it at or sketch. I'm just doing it at different points. You know, I'm not spending a week working on a set of comps and showing them to a client. That would be a nightmare. But I am dipping in and out of all these different tools as we work because, you know, I might just want to play around with something which, to be honest, you know, sometimes it is easier to drag something in sketch than it is to write a line of CSS, you know? Yeah. No, the really lame analogy would be that the browser's like the big stew pot and that's where everything's going into. And then, you know, whether you're chopping vegetables or whatever off to the side, that's, that's picking type or Photoshop to, to know exactly what you want to do, getting ingredients ready and then throwing them back in. I mean, it, yeah, we, we do the same thing. And, and a lot of times we'll just take screenshots of things that we think are broken that we need to sort of, how does the, how is a form going to look in this context? Take a screenshot. You know, we have all the, the context of the page and everything else we're working on and then uh, refine from there, whether it's in Photoshop or whatever. A lot of times we'll just be on Skype and live editing with Web Inspector. But, but yeah, sometimes you just sort of, the, the, the freedom, there's a different kind of mindset when you're working in image editing tools and it can be a, a, a relaxing or a refreshing or even just a helpful gear shift to just kind of ship, uh, shift mindsets to do something in a different way. I'll tell you what I do quite a lot. I've got some sheets made up, some type sheets, and I've got like a sans serif one and a serif one, that kind of thing. And what I tend to do at the beginning of a job, before I've opened any kind of graphics tool, is I'll fire these things up on an iPad and the iPhone, and I'll actually just, you know, if, if there's a particular typeface that we're using, I'll load that up so that I can actually check, for example, readability on, you know, all these different devices. I'll check for whether or not I can, you know, there's a good amount of legibility on a particular typeface at a really small screen size. But this little sheet that I've got, you know, I can make annotations. So I know that 14 pixels is the smallest that this thing is going to go. Oh, yeah. And then as soon as I get into Photoshop and I'm, you know, I'm designing in or, or sketch and I'm designing this thing up, I know that the heading is going to be 48 pixels. And sometimes I might even show the clients, you know, a little bit of that as well. You know, it's really nice to get them involved in that kind of 
part of the process. You know, really early on, I mean, they can stand there with the iPad and move it up and down and get them involved in that kind of thing. Because I find if you do that and you bring them into that part of the process really early, they're less likely to bug you about later on. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of like with clients, the whether it's like atomic design or style guide building, we'll, we'll work with like the smallest ingredients first. And that usually, you know, if they're trusting you from the beginning, that'll alleviate all that, like, I got to have a comp to know we're okay early on uh, before we go too far feelings. If if they're kind of signing off on uh, that, you know, like, I guess uh, the, the style tiles approach in a way, they just, yeah, these, this type's good. These colors are right. The, the, this button style's good. Let's go with it. That kind of a thing. I start with just uh, with actual content unstyled. And so I try to make a, just a simple, um, like HTML file of whether it's a component. Sometimes, oftentimes I'll go to the component level, uh, but a, a useful chunk of content. So I don't go as far as like Brad goes with, uh, you know, just headings. Um, uh, I find that most of my clients find that that's quite abstract. And so I try to make, I take a bunch of these elements and put them together with actual content. But just unstyled, like, um, I guess Brian Rieger once said, um, he calls that designing and text. So if we were to take this thing and we had to communicate using only unstyled HTML, how would we do that? And then I start building that up kind of layer by layer. So adding color, adding, you know, type treatments and things to, to build up this component. Um, and you could do a lot of that in the browser, but I, I tend to sketch and then uh, on paper and then go into the browser and then go back to sketching and then go into the, to the browser and, and keep doing that. And then once that's in the browser, uh, you've got this component, you could either show it to the client and iterate on it, or you could just wait and combine it with other components, you know, in your typical atomic design type of uh, workflow. Well, that'll alleviate with, you know, larger teams and larger organizations. So much of that, like, Getting getting to the point where even you have like a very rough comp on of even just a, like like a like a sketch or a JPEG of a component idea, if you're styling HTML, then you then you know it's like possible to mark up. I mean, the the most frustrating thing I think for anybody who's about to code something is to say, I don't even know how you would mark this up. It's so weird. Like the, you know, this doesn't right. make any sense. So yeah, it alleviates so much needless pain to do it that way. Yeah, and it also, you know that it works in everything, right? Unstyled <laughs> HTML. It just works anywhere. So if it ends up not working somewhere, you ruined it somewhere along the way. You know what I mean? So you, you just have to, it's like the, uh, to me, it's like the perfect progressive enhancement, just starting with unstyled content, which is, you know, the content is the, the thing you're building it for anyway. Um, even if it's an app, there's always content. Um, it might not have the, typical form of a news website or something, but there's always content. So when you start with that, you know, this thing is going to work everywhere. And if you structure it well, um, from the very beginning, then you're just focusing on that content and how you could best, um, present these ideas or, you know, communicate the things and interact with them. Um, so I find it refreshing to just start with content. It makes me kind of, it's like easing into the the icy waters of of the whole design process you know i'd say it's the exception not the rule to get content in advance from clients still i mean it's the number one reason why we now write so much content for clients 
because we need something meaningful and I can't wait for it. Yeah, yeah and we're totally different because we have we have most clients these days. It's predetermined clients or, or content or the feeds. It's like a feed of something that is you know we know what it is. It's it's this thing over and over and over again. So uh, yeah, it's it goes both ways. You know, I actually kind of would I'd, I'd be jealous to be able to sit down and be like, what are you trying to say? Because now it's more like, well, here's our data model. Let's get go. <laughs> Let's get going. But yeah. And is that is that uh, does that turn out to be correct all the time, Trent? Oh, usually. I mean, I think like the the, the very very core most of the time. If, if 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 it's like a feed, that that won't change. The the way it's kind of framed and presented or organized, uh, how things can maybe be filtered or sorted by users, how they'd access it from you know the, the top of the funnel, kind of a go to the homepage and browse the site or like see something on social media or an email and go deeper into the site, all these kinds of things, uh, we, we kind of think about, but yeah, like the, the, and that, that actually kind of made me think more even about just the core styles. Cause most, more often than not for us these days, those are established, you know, the, the, the color, there, there is no arguing about the colors or the, uh, the type treatment. Those have been set forth, uh, long before we got there. And so unless there's something wrong, you know, that we think is fundamentally, uh, not maybe not wrong, but f- could fundamentally be better. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. roll with those. So, um, you know, that <laughs> it, it, it's, it sounds like things are almost all, all the way figured out. But for us, that, that, you know, there's so much left to do. When you talk about a like how these things could be organized and if they're digestible and immediately under, understandable by users, and then also b how how does this work in the browser on a myriad of devices? And oh yeah, it has to be in German as well, right? Oh yeah, we have a German version. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, everything's you know fifty percent longer uh, in character count. Deal with that too. Yeah, yeah. So do you find when you get the um when you get those like predetermined design choices that they're just kind of company-wide branding or is it uh, more that people are specifically looked at the web and all these different devices to come to those choices? It's usually company-wide branding and that's when death, that's really when the relevancy of us making recommendations. I mean, we could obviously argue fonts with somebody for six months and never get anywhere, but uh, just out of subjectivity or something like that. But, um, you know, there, there, there was a, there've been a couple cases where they had like a, 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 some, some agency had recommended they'd done like the branding and they, all this, you know, colors and everything along along with it and they'd recommended a typeface that it was i think it was it was just horrible and the it didn't mean it was like a kind of like a free font that just didn't render well anywhere anywhere at all so it wasn't a very difficult argument to say here's here's some screenshots of where how you will look when we launch this with this font and here's three options uh Pick, pick, pick one don't of those. Don't use the font is number yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't use this. But then, I mean, even even more recently, you know, there was like um, a site we worked on where the the character count was a thing. Like, you know, we didn't want a lot of stuff to wrap. We, mobile was, I mean, with any client really at this point, but mobile was a, a key consideration because uh, they had they had an app and we were sort of trying to move away from that and uh the recommendation was was this lovely serif font and it was it just it just so happened to be that you could fit more it was a little bit tighter 
space that you know the, the characters themselves were more narrow it wasn't a condensed font but you could just fit a lot more so they went with that it was as simple as like there's here's some functional use to you and this is why you should pick it so unless you really have a good reason why are you using this other thing you know with, let's change so there's always the ability to uh oh well not always but there's often the, the, you have the ability to kind of shift and change the plan that they have in place but it usually for us has to be backed up by a, a very like specific as it should like a specific design or functionality kind of a reason and the only reason you could get to those recommendations was because you were comping this up in in the browser yeah, and you right. use it on the phone, and you think it sucks. I mean, that that that, that uh, it's funny because a lot of t- now type de- decisions. Sometimes I'll like try to do it a- ahead of time. Some of the stuff we've been building for ourselves recently, we're just like, let's use a font until we hate it, or until we just don't want to, or a color until we're just sick of looking at it. And so uh, it's maybe a really terrible way, but we've enjoyed it um, just with the three of us to just be like. Okay, this this is the right one. It's been two weeks. We're we're cool with it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, kick kick the tires. That's the best. That's the best way to know. Which which even gets. I could go down a whole other path of like, we we have come to believe in the context of large organizations that does a designing in the browser and b having prototypes will pretty much like win any argument or maybe just like prevent kind of needless arguments that you were almost, I think you were headed down this path earlier, Stephen, but like meetings about comps, they turn into these discussions of things that like, what would happen at a narrower view or what might this be like if I was holding it on a phone and all these things are theoretical and that you can't, you know, they're just guessing. We're all now guessing. We're making stuff up. This meeting has gone on for an hour and a half. There's no reason. But if you have a prototype, you know, well, I'll squish it and I'll take a look at it. I'll pull up my phone. I'll look at it. I'll have an opinion. None of these things that I'd, I'd be pondering, uh, you know, I just, I can answer those questions and form an opinion immediately. So we've come in, you know, coming into meetings with prototypes and framing them in the right way has, I, I mean, I wouldn't even hesitate to say that it's, 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 got, it's been the difference from us, um, not shipping something at all and not having like the organizational, like, backing to get something done period to like having it done and having it launched relatively soon. So it's, it's, it, yeah, having things browser based have really kind of at this point in our careers made work possible. Otherwise it's just, (laughs) honestly, it just turns into more meetings and churn for us. How do clients react these days when they see designs in the browser first? Because I remember it used to be a sell, you know, it used to be something that we had to get approved that we were going to work this way. Yeah. Um, have they reached the point now where people are used to seeing it because so many people like us are doing it more? Yeah, I've never had anyone argue about, uh, like, you just kind of got to, it's a little, uh, I mean, these days, most of our clients, it's like, it's very, they get it. They do this type of work too. So it's just, I mean, it's no different from talking to you two guys. It's like, hey, we're going to do it this way. Cool. I know all about it. But um, if they don't, I've just never had anybody sad to be like, hey, you could, here's a URL. Here's the password like go crazy and they're just they're like really <laughs> seriously i get to like use it now i get to like interact with this like at home right now it's like yeah yeah go do it so it's more of a you can kind of bill it as like a toy i mean it, it's that's kind of the thing i think photoshop is this like uh, the old work you know waterfall process it's just checking dot checking check boxes and making sure everything that we need to get done is done and getting sign off and and that still happens but uh not, you know we've kind of 
been able to avoid that kind of a situation so much recently. But then I think the prototype thing just turns it more into play. And even like executives and higher ups, they sort of get it when they can open something. Everybody loves freaking devices. They just love them. And so you say, hey, go pull it up on your phone. Here's the link. I'll text it to yeah. you, whatever. Oh, they're into it. You know, it's like, you yeah, know. nothing impresses them more. Yeah, pull it up on your Xbox. <laughs> it's not as bad as it used to be, but you know, when you used to kind of do a design or even, God forbid, build a website and then you'd find out that the client was using some ancient old version of Internet Explorer 5 on a PC. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as that now, but I do have to make sure when we're showing prototypes, often, you know, remotely, but I, I, I try not to do that. I do want to make sure that the client has that best viewing environment. You know, they've got to have a good browser. Yeah. You know, because otherwise, we're going to start getting into conversations which are not about design, they're about browser testing or device testing or something like that. We've got to the point now where we give people iPad minis. Yeah. It's like, that's what, you, that's what we give you to look at our designs on. Because, well, even know, going back to your, I think this was a 24 Ways article you wrote, Andy, was, 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 was that like, on the flip side of that though, is that if, if you are doing, getting in the browser sooner and that executive or whoever is using Internet Explorer 6 or whatever it may be, uh, you'll know quick. And the, if they're, if they're only looking at those things and they're not upset, then they, you know, then there you go. Yeah. There you're set. Yeah. No rounded corners, no rounded corners. Still no rounded right. corners. I'm fine. So that yeah. was an article called, I think it was Ignorance is Bliss, which yes, so. came out just before hardboiled i think i started working on hardboiled yeah. and yeah again that was like i think it was like 190 comments or something it wasn't probably as many as that but you know people were like well how do you get away with that you know is there no contract with this thing and <laughs> it's like yeah 139 no. comments and um yeah i mean i still stand by all of that sometimes it just makes life a little bit easier to control that environment and i actually find that when you hold a design in your hand, on a piece of glass, on an iPad, people interact with it in a different way than when they're looking at a, a normal screen with a pointing device. Um, they, it feels a more kind of inter, intimate experience for them. Um, and I really like that. I like to see people's reactions when they can kind of scroll up and down. And it makes it, it, makes it more real. Yeah. I think I think it does too. It's you know it's interesting that what you said, Andy, about the conversations that you have. What I actually do, and I think Trent, I think you said something like this earlier on. I automate um, the taking of screenshots at different viewport widths, and I know it's not the same as a device. But when I first have a browser-based comp, um, I well, it's all in my book about this workflow. But basically, I have this automated. Um, system that I can, I can run it and then it just churns out all these screenshots of, of all the comps at different, um, breakpoints really. And I'll actually present the screenshots first. So I have two conversations about the comps. The first one is about the screenshots where you would have your typical, um, look and feel type of conversation, right? You might have to go back and make some changes, which are a lot easier in CSS than they are manually changing all these things in, in like, you know, 50 Photoshop comps. Um, but then once we've got that, uh, look and feel kind of nailed down and I feel that the, the client's happy with that, then we move on to actually showing them the same thing, but in the browser, it's already in the browser, of course, but I don't confront them with that fact at the very, very beginning. 
um, just so that the, the second conversation, as soon as you can interact with something and you start clicking on things, um, a bunch of different stuff gets into the conversation. Like, why isn't this working when I'm clicking on it? Um, you know, I expect that I expected it to swipe down when I, when I did this, you know, and all these types of things that, um, make the conversation huge. And I don't feel like having that long of a conversation. I don't think it's productive. So I try to split up those, uh, subjects. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah I mean, no, I like you it. can, you can give a client a, a, a visual. Photoshop visual, sketch visual, whatever it may be. And it can be the most perfect rendition of the page that you intend to design. And there are a dozen conversations that are happening or should be happening about what's on that page. And those can be to do with content. They can be to do with typography. They can be to do with all kinds of, of different topics. And the client will not be able to focus on what you want to talk to them about. Let's just imagine you want to talk to them about legibility. They will not be able to talk to you about that. They will be absolutely fixated by, and I joke about it, but the size of the logo or the fact that the special offer that you've used in the comp is not the current special offer. It's last month's special offer or it's an out-of-date product photo. And they'll say these things to you. It's like you've used the wrong photo. It's like, no, let's forget about the damn photo. Let's talk about typography. Whereas when you get them into a browser and you isolate all of these things, it's you have much more meaningful conversations. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's uh, conversations. Uh, that's probably, the, I think those are the two big things nowadays and this kind of newer workflow that we're all getting into. Um, collaboration and conversations. You know, that's pretty much, it's all just communication, really. Um, people talking to each other, the team talking to each other as opposed to uh, what Trent was talking about in the beginning. I've got my thing and I'm done. I got yeah. sign off. So I'm going to have a party and here now it's on you, you know, and then, um, at, and talking to the client. So this whole process that uh, we're using nowadays, we, we have to take the client with us from the very beginning. So we don't do, you know, Mark Bolton's big reveal, right? We, we take them by the hand through the whole process and, uh, there are, there are fewer surprises for these clients. So you don't get that, um, potentially disastrous reaction when the client's seen these beautiful comps for, you know, weeks and weeks. And now they go look at something in the browser and they, you know, they faint. Um, and then you start having difficult conversations about, um, it's not what you presented to us. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I know that some designers actually don't like interaction with clients that much. I mean, I've worked with people that would much prefer that the client gets handled by somebody else, you know, project manager or account handler in an agency or something like that. But I've actually found that getting people involved in this kind of process, you can, you can do things a lot quicker for one thing, you know, cause you just cut out all the bullshit. You know, there's no kind of uploading PSDs to, to base camp and waiting for somebody's thoughts. You know, you're sitting there with somebody often moving stuff around and you can just get much better relationships with people by doing that. Cause it's much less hands off. You know, it just, people just seem to prefer it. Yeah. Those, I mean, those intangibles like, you know, trust and communication and morale, uh, man, those influence, I think those influence the like quality of the final product just as much as, the skill levels uh, that the people are who are working on 
the the site itself. I mean, the the ability to articulate your idea and have somebody else share the same kind of understanding or perception, it's so crucial. So I've, I mean, I yeah, I've never been able to understand in the with the specific way I do this kind of work, and I think we all do. I mean, there's no way to just pull out the client relation project management side of things that's to me that's everything and the all Dave and Reagan and I the three of us it's it's we I mean we spend just as much time discussing how we should reply to an email or you know a github issue or something as we do designing things and it's not like we're trying to like plot or manipulate but we just recognize the importance of all that within the context of the job that if they don't understand what we're saying now they may ne- they may like have this idea that what what we were initially presenting or pushing for even a small thing is wrong or is not it's not good so if we blow it if we don't explain ourselves properly then we're not giving our designs or our ideas or whatever the 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 chance they deserve or, or vice versa so yeah i've never been able to separate those two things i think it's it's to me it's all design and you can't you can't have one without the other can we talk about tools for a little while because oh yeah, Uh-oh. from one religious war to another. Because I remember watching you, Stephen, speak at Smashing Conference in Freiburg a couple of years back. Oh, okay. That was that was the year that I had to rip up my talk and write a new one the night before because you and Jeremy Keith were covering exactly the same topics. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I didn't know that. You bastard! Yes, it was. Well, actually, you it was lovely because um, I was. Can we give? Can we give someone else the the? The guilt trip for that one. <laughs> I think it was an editorial issue with the conference organizer, and let's just leave it there. But you no, know, Jeremy got up on the first day and covered about forty percent of of what I was going to do, and then you stood up on the in the afternoon and covered pretty much the rest of it. And I thought, shit, what am I going to do now? <laughs> so I went back to the hotel room and and wrote a new talk. Well, Jeremy and I, when we got together the night before and we were like, well, how are we going to, you know, get Andy to write a new talk? Um, (laughs) Let's not get into that. It worked. Oh, dear. We'll talk about stress levels. But you were talking about your design toolkit and you were taking it into areas which, to be honest, I still don't dare to go. You know, the terminal, for one thing. You know, and you were talking about template languages and all these kind of technical tools that I... And I say as a designer, but, you know, I know there are designers that can touch this stuff. I don't. They still seem really, really alien. I mean, do do we have to go there, really, honestly? No. No, we don't have to. Uh, If, you know, if someone's giving a talk about uh, theoretical, uh, their principles, their ideas about workflow, which is, you know, something I've been talking about now for a few years, and those ideas might be a little bit different than other people's ideas on workflow. I, I always think it's it's a pity if you just get up there and talk about those principles and you don't give any real life examples. And um, in order to give those real life examples, I have to expose you know some of what I do and how I do it. And it's it's a little bit unconventional, uh, but that doesn't mean everyone has to go there. I think if you take those principles and you apply them to your own situation, you can you can even continue. I mean, let's be honest: if you continue doing Photoshop comps but you increase the amount of collaboration that you have with developers um, and interaction designers, et cetera, 
then you'll have huge gains compared to the way you did things in the past. So you're using these principles, but you're not, you're not necessarily shedding all of your, your toolkit. You know what I mean? So I had to show some of that. And it's the same thing in the book. A lot of designers like the first half of my book. And then the second half, when I get more into these tools that I use to be able to give them an example, they, uh, they tend to say, well, not all designers, but they get kind of frightened, which is kind of weird because it's kind of like, uh, you know, children who have never had green beans, um, but they hate green beans. You know, I don't like them. Never had them, <laughs> but I don't like them. So the terminal is really scary. Never used it, but it's really scary, which is kind of strange because it's not that scary. Um, basically it just sits there and does nothing and waits for you to tell it what to do. And then you tell it what to do and it does it. So y the only difference is you type your command in, um, almost like talk, talking to someone with, with text and then you press enter and it does the thing. Um, it, people always say, well, you know, you, you shouldn't, uh, you could type in commands that can totally delete your hard drive. That is true. Um, so the, the key is to not type in those commands and you're fine. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not that hard, but not everyone has to use it. But there's a suite, uh, to give you an example, there's a, a, a suite of tools for working with images through the command line called image magic. And there's one command in there called convert. And what you could do is you could take a whole folder with like a hundred images. And let's say you had to convert them all from, I don't know, from JPEG to ping, or you had to like resize them all. Um, you could do that with one command for the whole folder and it would execute that command in less than the time that it would take for you to start Photoshop. So, uh, that's the power of the command line. I don't use the command line for everything. I use it for things that it's good at where I found no equivalent uh, that works just as well in a graphical environment. And that's the only reason I do it. I didn't do it because I wanted to be nerdy or anything like that. There were just tools there that allowed me to do things that I couldn't do otherwise because I, I didn't know of any software that provided those things. Those kind of things I can see real benefit of. And I don't think I would be terribly scared of doing that kind of thing as long as the the environment is kind of set up for me or set up easily in, in advance because I think my experience with terminals or you know when I've been kind of trying to get to grips with something that you know even SAS in the early days before we had compilers that would you know code kit or whatever that would do things for us you know you just end up with a complete nightmare installing things that you couldn't see that you didn't know where they were going and it was just a you know a big black hole um, so I can see the I the advantage of doing something like the image magic stuff. Absolutely. And I also, and this is where I really want to get learning is templating languages. You know, the fact that this week I'm putting together a design that's got, you know, one or two dozen templates uh, across the, across the board. And I use code kit so I can use partials and that kind of thing. But I would dearly love to understand how to use something like, is it Jekyll? Does that, what, yeah. is that what that does? Yeah. Or, Mustache, I think, is is that something similar? I hear these things talked about, but I don't really know what they do. <laughs> those kind of things, absolutely. I'd be all over those things, but it's just a, you know, I don't know. I've just never got there. 
we we whenever there is like we were talking about earlier, there is this sort of like our code bleeding into the client's code, and 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 we use Jekyll a lot to sort of uh, make things more efficient. And that's and and, I, and full disclosure, that's Dave probably setting it up more and making sure I <laughs> I don't delete, Lord knows what. But um, yeah, oh, yeah, that's something that I definitely recommend. Like it's it's just it makes things way easier. Um, it makes handoff way easier. Um, most of the time, th- those kinds of things. But it, yeah, it, it, I mean, if you're trying to manage. 12 pages, uh, and then you're trying to kind of do it on a component-based way. Oh, gosh, yeah, that stuff it just makes it a lot easier. Yeah, it's a huge uh, thing. Like, I, I use the software called Dexy, which mm-hmm. um, provides a, a lot of the same stuff that you would find in Jekyll, um, but it also has a lot of benefits for creating style guides uh, based on the live code of your your comp. Uh, so uh, it's it's all... Uh, in the, in my case, it's Jinja templates, which is, you know, they're all pretty similar, Jinja and Mustache and all those kind of things. There are differences, you know, and the people who are real template geeks will tell you all those differences, but <laughs> they're really not important for designers. Um, the important thing for designers is that a templating language is easy to use, and you don't have to use all of it. And basically, what you're, it's almost like it. Uh, at its basic level, just using includes. Like if you have 50 different components that you've designed and you want to pull them together c- to create a page, you you end up almost creating like a declarative uh, comp. So you go open a text file and you're saying, I want this component here and I want this component here. And you just almost make a list of components that this software, Jekyll or Dexy or whatever, will just kind of um, pull all these things together and, and push out... Uh, a comp for you. You know, if your CSS accommodates all these things, then you'll have a comp of a screen or a page or whatever it is. So it's pretty powerful the more you work with components. If you look at stuff like Brad's um, Pattern Lab, uh, do you know that? You I've guys seen know about it. Pattern oh, yeah. 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 Well, Pattern Lab is, um, it does the same type of thing. Uh, the way you put content into these uh, into these templates is, is different because I think they use JSON. Um, to put content in, which is probably not real great if you have normal people who do the content. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know of any content people who like working in JSON. But um, if that's not a problem, uh, they've got this pretty good system set up to to deal with all those components. But you could do it with Jekyll. You could do it uh, by hand, you know, manual static HTML. Um, you could do it with Dexy. You could do it with a, a bunch of different tools. So um, I think it's cool that all these tools are kind of converging on a lot of these ideas. They all have different temp- templating languages. They're all based on a different language, like Pattern Lab is PHP, and Jekyll is Ruby, Dexy is Python. Uh, so you get all these people who kind of prefer a certain language, and then they kind of choose something within that language. So you get all these questions online about... Um, is there anything like Jekyll, but for Haskell, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> I would go to a workshop. I would pay good money to go to a workshop where somebody would explain this kind of stuff and help you to get it set up in a non-developery kind of way. And I know I've banged on about this for 10 years or more, but you know, sometimes when I sit down to actually, I, I, Saturday morning is usually my time when I'm determined to do something that I've not done before. And I'll sit down thinking, right, I'm going to bloody well get this Jekyll thing working today. And I'm 
one paragraph into some explanation about how to do it and I'm already being told to go and install some modules from somewhere. God Lord knows where they come from in the command. Yes. <laughs> and I'm completely gone. So I would I would literally pay good money to go on a workshop to do this. Or somebody needs to write a book. This stuff should be a book apart. You know, <clears throat> or something similar, you know, <laughs> meant for designers. Someone, someone might have written a book uh, outlining this type of process. Well, funny you should say that. <laughs> but, you know, I think if there's conference organizers listening in, you know, there might be one or two people in the audience, then please get Stephen to teach a workshop on this kind of stuff. I do, I do. But I, uh, t- I have to admit, in those workshops, I don't get into that stuff because a lot of people find it too technical, but it's really not hard. The, the hard part, I understand your pain because I've had to go through it to start using a lot of these tools as well. The pain of those kind of tools is documentation. Um, people who create good software don't necessarily know how to write good documentation. So they're really good at making this stuff, but they're not really good at explaining how to set it up or use it. And, that's too bad. And I think a lot of these projects are open source. So I wish more people would like get into the documentation thing because it's an art to be able to write technical documentation that normal humans can understand. So a lot of these problems are installation problems and de- dependency problems. Like, um, you can use Suzy, uh, 2.0 for SAS, but you have to have at least SAS version X. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you have SAS version X, that's not no longer going to work, going to work with compass. So you, you know, you have to, I don't know, I've lost sleep and hair and all kinds of things. I have no that, idea that what stuff. you just said. Yeah, exactly. That's what but, I'm talking about. The, the, yeah. And, and, and in, in real terms, it's, it's, and this is me locking out that I've friends with Dave. It's like, Hey, m- the build's broke. I have no idea. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, I don't have... This is an up to date, or this version of one thing is incompatible with something else, and it's 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 not even just no like. Then that's maybe the, the the funny thing there too is because a workshop, it would work in a way, but at the same time, it's like it's like uh, trying to fix someone's computer at the same time, like teaching them how to do it, but then who, Lord knows what you have installed, what versions you have installed. So, like, I could see somebody going, here are the five things you need to do to get Jekyll up and running. And 50% of the room's like, got it. And the other, every other person has a completely different problem. Until. Now, I would really like to have a simple book, a simple workshop. And I think it's really important. I think that the more that we want designers, we want our peers to be working in this way, which, you know, we've seen the benefits of it. I've seen the benefits of it. I think that we need to help people to use some of these tools. Um, you know, and, it, and I know that it sounds lame. It's like, oh, poor Andy doesn't want to use the terminal. But, you know, I think that we can make it easier for people. I, I understand that. And, you know, they're, they're, I don't know officially what they're called. I know Dave, someone like Dave would know this, but there are ways to, like, package a bunch of uh, these tools, all the stuff that you would need to install and all those version dependencies and stuff. You can kind of bundle them together and create this thing that you just install and you have kind of god i i don't even know what that's called it's It's, but it's almost like an app i mean it's like hey install this almost like you can have yes you can have the site which feeds into me i mean this is the whole thing is 
the opposite end of it was designers hoarding Photoshop documents until the end of the process. Or, or like the organization sort of facilitated that. And if we're going to move towards the browser, the pendulum could swing the other way and we could have this negative thing where like designers don't have easy access and then they can't contribute uh, to, they can't even see the site towards the end. I mean, so yeah, it, it's almost like, man, that, the, Stephen, your piece on like documentation and paying attention to like how people can, act, you know, making sure humans can use these tools, I think it's going to be very, very important because, I mean, it would make for an equally miserable process for if designers are sort of like elbowed out because they can't get their machine up and running. And then, it, you right. know, it, it, and if you haven't been collaborating the whole time, it's going to seem really awkward, you know, to come up to a developer who you loathe talking to towards the end of a project and be like, could you fix my computer so I can make a redline document for you? <laughs> so right. you know, everybody having access to the build at all times is going to be very crucial. So if we're going to use these tools... There's like the client process impl implications that are going to come up. These organizational problems that could come up. So, uh, I think, I don't know if Dave's finished it, but he's kind of got a post where, you know, not, not even everybody's going to need to install, even if it's easy, they're not going to want to install it to see the build in real time. So we've had clients do cool stuff where if we commit, make a commit, the, their like live internal site will update or even yes. Dave's done a deal where he's, it's, it's like a Dropbox files thrown up to Heroku and then he's created like a password protected thing. So like we're not really having to do much like whatever Jekyll compiles or whatever tool we have compiles it, it, that site folder or whatever it is, is uh, live and anybody can get to it at any time. And, and to us, that wasn't like getting ready for a kickoff meeting or, or even like a meeting of approval. It was, Hey, let's participate in this process together. Yeah. see the problem with Dave with stuff like that is, uh, like even, you know, that talk that he did at Artifact, it's just so, it seems so easy because, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, Jeremy, Jeremy Keith has said to me after a couple of my talks that I use the word just too often. Like it's just the terminal. Yep. It's, you just have to do that. So I make it sound so easy. So he's chastised me a couple of times about that, but like Dave does this stuff that just goes right over my head and he's like, Oh, look at this. And you know, you type some stuff and then magic happens. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just ridiculous. So you do kind of need someone like that, but like a small version of them that's on your desk at all times. Absolutely. You know what, I mean? what about tools that are essentially browsers, design tools that are essentially browsers? I'm thinking about some of Adobe's recent efforts where they've made responsive design tools. For example, there's a, a piece of software, like a, almost like a graphic design piece of software called Macaw, which got a lot of attention. Um, you know, reflow, yeah, reflow, those yeah. kind of things, right? Which essentially they are, you know, they're operating system wrappers around a browser. If you're working in one of these tools, if you're working in Macaw and you add a shadow to a button, because, you know, shadows are cool, kids, still, that is actually a box shadow in CSS. And you want to add another shadow, like I do, and it's another box shadow. So essentially everything that you're seeing rendered inside the canvas, if we want to call it that, is HTML and real CSS. And I suppose the advantage of those tools is that you can't make something in the canvas, which is impossible to make in CSS. However, I have never got on with those tools. I tried Macaw for a couple of days and I tried a couple of the Adobe tools way back in the day and it didn't feel like a very natural part of my process. I didn't like them very much. And 
I wanted to go back and use something else. Have you tried those things? Yeah, I wonder if we're not the target either. Uh, you know, you, for us, I mean, for me, I, I, I was the same way. I was like, well, I'm either going to Photoshop it knowing exact, because I'm just quicker there, uh, knowing exactly what a browser will do or, or what they're capable of doing, what it's capable of doing. Um, or I'm going to just want to code it. And that was, normally I would just be like, well, let's, I mean, let's just code it, you know, <laughs> why? Um, but there, there's this weird deal where, you know, organizations, they'll have lots of designers who don't know how to code and, and they're kind of like, well, maybe we need to kind of transition in that direction and all of that kind of stuff. So we've made, I mean, I don't know how they've panned out, but a couple of times, you know, we've made, kind of two recommendations and one is to try these out if nothing else like obviously learn a little bit and learn web inspector like those kinds of things do, you know do some online videos where you learn how a web inspector works and things like that but you know if nothing else using these tools will prevent like you said Andy like us designing something that is impossible to do with CSS in any kind of practical manner and then the other part of it too though is we've had a lot of success with code pen i mean there's a lot of js been and all these kinds of things but we've had a lot of like we've been working with some designers and they've just they've they know a little bit of code but th there's something about that interface and kind of the ability to like host a full site that we've you know the kind of like it's i mean the the screen of code pen now that i think about it is actually not too different from dreamweaver in 2000 or something where you, you you're changing code and live you can see what's happening but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's maybe the middle piece. It's like I, I, I make a change and then immediately visually I have a cue to show me what's happened. But, uh, yeah, I, I think for me and for the, the, the clients we've had, most of the benefits for those kinds of tools have really been kind of like an aid in either prevention and things that are impossible or an aid in teaching and, and helping designers kind of take that first step into like front end, the front end world. Yeah, I agree with that CodePen thing. I, I use JSPen uh, most of the time. I use CodePen sometimes, but I just started with JSPen um, way back, uh, way back when. So I'm just, I just kind of stuck with it, but it's perfect for um, when you have a conversation, it's just strengthens that conversation. So it's like, Oh, well, well, let's see, you know, let's try some stuff out. And the same with, um, you know, your browser's dev tools. Um, which I see as kind of design tools as well, especially now that sure. like in Chrome dev tools, you, you've got, you've even got a color picker in there and everything, you know? So, um, it, they become ways to just instantly see, uh, instantly try things out. So I think those are great, but they might even go too far for some designers. So Andy, your comment about things like Macaw, I think that those tools have, a, I think they have a place probably not for us, but the, so many designers that I talk to, uh, in workshops and, and the like where, um, they just do Photoshop and nothing else. And so they're terrified of like anything having to do with code. And I do think that just the same way that Photoshop kind of creates this, uh, psychological frame, which, which can lead you in certain directions. You know what I mean? Just even by the, the canvas itself, uh, I think these tools can also do the same thing where you might not get, you might not get to the creativity that you would have gotten in something like Photoshop. In which case I would say it's probably good to start at Photoshop. You know what I mean? But these tools like Macaw are, I would say if you're a designer who's willing to, um, to try it, 
a, a comp that's even with the code that something like Macaw might put out, which might not be something you'd ever use for production, if you're willing to try to get a comp in the browser, I think that a, an in-browser comp, in comp is still better than a static image comp. You know, so uh, I, I, would, I would see it as like, a, like training wheels, I guess, to learn how to ride a bicycle. So um, there should come a point where you graduate from that. Um, I don't see these tools. I see them as like an intermediate step. I wouldn't see them as a tool that you would always do stuff in because you, there's too much magic. You don't know. I don't feel like you know, uh, what's going on behind the scenes with that CSS. And it, it kind of protects you from everything that CSS has to offer or protect is maybe not a great word. It, it hides a lot of what CSS has to offer. Um, which you don't want. You want to learn as much as you can about CSS because you get all these great new tools in addition to Photoshop, right? It's funny you guys mentioning CodePen because I've struggled with my workshop uh, format for quite a while. You know, I'm teaching CSS and, you know, I'm teaching Flexbox and uh, CSS columns and, you know, all of this kind of new stuff. And actually how you teach a room full of people to understand what a Flexbox property does is actually quite hard. And what I've been doing recently is I made a bunch of uh, sort of boilerplate examples and I will actually get people to pull them up in the browser, they'll open the dev tools and I'll get them to change class names or Flexbox properties or whatever. Um, and it was only recently, actually, I thought, I thought to myself, Do you know what, CodePen is probably a really good tool for this kind of thing. Yep. I'm, I'm doing a workshop on uh, responsive layouts in Austin uh, in April, I guess. May, March? I don't know. It's soon. Um, and I, yeah, I have like six pens and it's straight, it's, it's, it's one column. And then we talk about every possible thing that fluid, fluid layout could have to do with one column, line length, font size, all this crap. And then two columns, like how, how do these interact with each other? Then three. And then we're getting into like managing hierarchy and all this kind of stuff. And it's just one pen after the other. That's the whole workshop. And, and there's code. We'll probably comment out and everything. And then they'll, we'll just kind of go piece by piece. But yeah, it's like, I mean, it's almost like the same thing as designing in the browser, like having that as the centerpiece and getting people comfortable, you know, using and interacting with the, you know, and thinking in a design way in the browser is, is so valuable. You know what? We could talk about this for another three hours, and maybe, <laughs> maybe we should. It maybe. hasn't been three hours. No, it's not been that long. It's <laughs> been an, it's been an hour and twenty minutes. But maybe we should actually have another conversation about this another week because I would enjoy it. And I didn't actually get to talk about half the things that I thought would be great to talk to you guys about. You know, I wanted to talk about collaboration, which we kind of touched on a little bit. I wanted to talk about creative teams. Um, I wanted to talk about art direction on the web, which is something that, Stephen, you wrote about like in 2004 or something on a list apart. Right. Long, long time ago. I wanted to talk about all of those kind of things, but we've kind of run out of time. And I haven't even talked about being asked to host an entire day conference for free either. I haven't had my own yet. <laughs> you, could, you could vent that if you want. You could let it out. We could talk about that. But what we should do is yeah. we should just wrap up the main body of the show and then if we want to talk about that, people can tune out. Thanks a lot, guys. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a fabulous evening. 
Yeah, this like this feels like a good old A A plus maybe podcast. We did well. I thought you were going to say A A there, Alcoholics Anonymous. A A no A or A plus podcast. I think we yeah. I was just going to make great. a comment about you know we should all have beers, but um, the A A thing makes me feel kind of guilty. My so. name is Stephen, and I design in the browser. <laughs> right. But people can follow you, Trent, on Twitter. You are strangely Trent Walton. Yeah, go figure. And Stephen Hay. At Stephen Hay. Yeah. Or you can follow me at Malarkey to ask questions or suggest topics. You can message this show on Twitter at UnfinishedBZ or BZ. Or you can email me, <laughs> he has at unfinished.bz. So I actually don't like Trent. No. Yeah, we actually hate <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah. Ever since the taco incident. Yeah. What taco incident? You know, <laughs> did I take your taco, or was it the time that I ate four? See, no, now we're no, talking it's, about food again, which we said we specifically yeah, we said, said we, we were wouldn't. Not I'm sorry. Talk about food. No, it's this just the off, whole food truck thing. The Trent, grid, Trent said we're gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna take you guys to like the best food truck in Austin, and so we went into a food truck. And a food truck. I've been out of the states for a long time, so a food truck. Um, I couldn't really wrap my head around what that really was and it, it was exactly what i thought it was um but it's the it turns out to be this thing you know that it's food trucks everyone's kind of crazy about it so we went to this food truck and these food trucks they don't they don't drive you know they just sit there in the same spot so i'm like why a truck you know why not put like a restaurant there or something is it I like a know. trailer I'm, it's like yeah. a trailer. Yeah, it's like what you would find on a market or Crushed something. Crushed like granite that. lot with like six trailers on on them. I'm sure they they run, they can drive, but they don't. Yeah, and you just go you get Torchy's tacos, which is pretty good. Torchy's, pretty good deal. yeah, that's one. Yeah, so I wasn't mad about that. Um I was just giving you a hard time. My wife wants to be trailer trash. She always says that. Can I be a redneck trailer trash? She wants to live in a trailer. Not possible. Well, but see, I don't, I don't buy it because we were, we had uh, brunch one day, and she, uh, we had, a, we were eating Olivia in Austin, which is a fantastic kind of like chefy farm to table restaurant, and we were talking about Tex Mex, and what wasn't she like? I don't like that it's all mixed up. Yeah, and I, I think that's like that would be your staple food if that was your deal. It'd be like, well, at least in Texas, I mean, it is for me. I mean, it, yeah. It doesn't matter if it's a fajita, an enchilada, a taco, or whatever. It's the same thing. It's a tortilla and a bunch of stuff. She can't get used to the idea of a breakfast taco. I mean, that's just like a completely alien thing. That's sad. I, 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 whenever I'm away, I'll, I'll be back, and, and I'll, I will find a way to eat basically the same thing ingredients-wise every day. Today, I'll have tacos. Okay, I'll change it up. T- tomorrow, I'll have enchiladas. And it's the same so we ended up talking about food. We Sorry. always end up talking about food on this I podcast. can't help it. This is my reason for living. Do you still want to vent that conference thing, Andy? Do you yeah, want to? Yeah, go ahead, Andy. Yeah. I mean, oh, Jesus. Did you see this thing today? I was actually quite I was quite excited. I got this, you know, this reasonably written email from somebody in, you know, in Europe at a conference um, asking me essentially if I would host the day. Um, and they were quite specific about what the duties would be. It was, they had something like eight speakers on an HTML5 track of this tech conference. 
So it's not our usual kind of, you know, web standards, web design arena. It was a, a bigger, broader tech event. And the speakers were all from companies. You know, there was a lot of CEOs and there was a lot of, you know, lead technical people from, you know, Etsy and eBay and all these kind of big companies. So it's an infomercial conference, really. Basically something like that. And they wanted a host for the day that would introduce the speakers, that would uh, field questions from the audience and uh, ask their own questions at the end of each session if there weren't anything forthcoming for the, uh, you know, from the audience. And I looked at the list of speakers and I thought, you know what, this would actually be a really good thing to do. I could have some fun with this and, you know, putting my business head on, I could end up meeting some, some good people. So I thought, you know, okay, we'll go for that. So, uh, so I wrote back and said, yeah, I'd actually be quite interested in, in, in doing this. Um, just to let you know, as a, you know, small business owner and somebody that's not paid for a bigger company, I do have to charge a fee for my time. And I said, you know, this is my fee. And I know from, you know, my friends that it's not an outrageous fee. Plus I charge reasonable travel and hotel expenses. And that was that. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, you know, that this is going to be great. And then I get back this, uh, this email, which I suppose I should just have let go. But, you know, it said, and I've got it here, thanks for getting back to me. Great news you're interested. Usually travel expenses get covered by the speakers themselves. As our events provide a platform for the speakers to share their learning, promote themselves as leaders in our digital sphere, as well as boosting their public profile of the speakers taking part. Our show is pretty much a first year show, which actually, if you look at the website, it isn't because they're in their sixth year, apparently. So unfortunately, we don't have the budget to cover speaker travel expenses. As a speaker, you'll receive a complimentary pass to all conference agendas and networking functions during the two-day show. Additionally, we'll have hotel partnerships which offer discounted rates to our speakers, so I'm not sure if that changes anything. I understand that traveling to conferences can be a costly experience, but let me know if anything changes your rent. Well, first and foremost, they said in the original email that Steve Wozniak was going to be keynoting this event. Oh, so... He's not going to get paid then. He's paying his own way, presumably, according to this email. And second, Yeah, obviously. Obviously. And thank you very much for pointing out that traveling to conferences can be a costly experience. And thank you very much for offering not to pay me to cover them. So yeah. I, I went on a rant, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I should know better by now, shouldn't I really? Um, yeah, but there's Twitter, you know, Twitter's there. So you have to use it. I, yeah, I just, I had to write back and I, and I wrote back and I said, listen, thanks for getting back to me. Yours is an event that charges a thousand euros per ticket. And yet you expect speakers, even those who are not paid by large corporations to speak to free. You don't pay reasonable expenses, but you expect me to take time away from my business to help you with yours. All for the vague promise of exposure and networking. Frankly, I'm staggered. Thanks for asking, but I won't be helping you this year. Let me know if anything changes your end, which was a little snarky comment because they finished yeah. theirs the same way. Um, and, you know, I, I, I went, I closed Twitter. I went away. Um, you know, I did a bunch of work today and then I, I opened it later on and there's like 103 replies. So, and I, and I always hate, I hate it when that happens because I think, oh God, what's people saying about me? <laughs> Completely paranoid. But no, there seem to be quite a lot of people that kind of, you know, are in amazement that there are still events that go on out there that, um, you know, that don't pay speakers. And maybe I'm just not exposed to them. Maybe I'm just too used to the beautiful people at Smashing Magazine or beautiful people at uh, Web Directions or an event apart. 
Um, maybe I'm just used to them treating people well. Maybe I'm just not used to this kind of big, wide tech world where, you know, you don't get paid anything. But, wow, amazed. Yeah, the, 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 the thing that turns me off the most will always be the, like, this could, I mean, this was like the, I remember when we were first starting in web design, the very, like, you could get, like, you could do my site and then someone else could see it. And then they'll hire you and actually pay you to do it. So this is exposure that you need. It's the same kind of thing. It's silly. It's silly. So, well, yeah, I'd be frustrated too. Sometimes I wonder whether I should publish these things. You know, occasionally I'll get an email from somebody and I try to be, you know, I try to, to be uh, respectful and I try to respect their privacy. So I, you know, I rarely include their name or email address or something like that. But, you know, I'll get a really badly written uh, letter from a student and I'll tweet my reply, you know, because I, you know, I think that I'm helping. And occasionally people are going, oh, that sort of stuff should stay private. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard. Well, if you put a disclaimer on your email that um, uh, please note that or on your site next to your email address, please note that all your emails could be public. <laughs> And, you know. No, I want people to be able to write in. I don't want to scare people off. But occasionally, you know, you just have to vent. Yeah, it's hard because some people don't mean any malice. You know, they're it's not um, on purpose, and they they don't even realize that they're doing anything ro- anything wrong. There must be more like circuses and conferences. I mean, you know, if you've got four thousand people at an event, each paying a thousand, yeah, euros. pretty much. Um, you know, there's obviously right. early birds and stuff like that, but you've got 4,000 people. They're not in the same room. I mean, maybe they are in the same room listening to Woz, but, you know, there must be, what, 10 tracks. There has to be. Yeah. Eight to 10 right. tracks simultaneously. That's a circus. That's not a conference. Well, it's, it's a certain type of conference, you know, that, uh, that really I, I was joking about the infomercial conference, but it's true in a sense. So you get these huge conferences that most of the time we've never really heard of because we have these, you know, we have this certain kind of conference circuit most of the time, but they have, um, everyone's from a company. The company's paying for them to go there because basically they're just advertising for the company for the duration of their talk. Um, the talks are usually horrible at these things. Um, and somehow they're so tied into the, the brand that they're representing. Um, it, it's like watching commercials, you know? Um, so there, it's not that you get a whole lot of value. It's kind of like, uh, here's some value, uh, that you could get if you start using our product or whatever. Um, so it's, it's different atmosphere, I guess. I, I don't like those. Um, I was lucky enough to have found out that one conference that I agreed to go speak at was one of those conferences, but ended up not being able to put on the show because the the company that was doing it went bankrupt. So that was great. Harry Roberts, who was on the show a week or so ago, um, has just sent me a link to a gist um, where he's been sort of uh, he detailed a, a, an email exchange with an organizer, pretty much the same kind of scenario. So I'll put a link in the show notes. What did I just saw something that Trent? Oh sent. no, that you were describing those conferences and how awkward they are, and it reminded me of this YouTube video. You should put that in. Oh, this in isn't a social media marketing one with the. Uh, that's not the girl the singing, girl, the is song? it? Oh yeah, no, no, no. we cannot. Well, okay, I'll put the audio in, but that's just 
you'll never get that out of your head for about three years. I've had play at the beginning of the Let's show. Get Social. Was, was that, the I've talk. never been able to make it to the end. Oh, no, I've just, watched the whole too thing. too painful. And it's not just the girl singing who... He, they, yeah, he puts on like a hat and the, starts trying to the, rap. The, no. Yeah, the big guy okay. rapping yes, is, um, is, is more embarrassing than the whole rest of it. So, yeah, that's... Was it the Warby Parker? Like, they did like the... Video where they were sitting in the back. There, it was like, what was that song? Friday. They they did like a riff of that. Oh, I don't. And like all the CEOs of some company, maybe not Warby Parker, but it, yeah, it's. I always like these things when they like like business people kind of dabble in, like into the on the entertainment side, and they make these videos thinking they're kind of. Well, Hilarious. it's been a while since there's been a new Paravel design so on the website. So I just can imagine maybe you, Dave and Reagan, um, breaking into some musical number on the homepage in a video. That would be ace. Yeah. we Dave had uh, the ATX web show before Shop Talk. And I don't know if th- this is a pretty inappropriate Saturday Night Live skit, but there was Astronaut Jones and there was a theme song. It's a Tracy... What's his name? Morgan uh, skit where he's just this. He did sort of like a, a Frank Sinatra old standards version of this like intro intro song, and so we sang a we had like an ATX web show intro to the tune of that Saturday Night Live skit. Anyways, but uh, that's the closest we'll ever come to something like that. That's a shame. I think more web teams <laughs> should actually have a musical number on their homepage. I'm, I'm imagining Jeremy. Um, yeah, he could do a real, like, an actually good one, and we could get one where Reagan, Reagan sort of has this, like, hilarious, uh, I've had a beer at lunch and I'll do, like, scat, bebop type stuff. So, uh, it could happen. It could, it could maybe happen. But come on, you guys. Uh, I mean, would you ask the same thing of musicians? Like, we wish that you guys would make more websites? Yeah, yeah, leave us alone. 